0: Certainly one of the most impactful innovations of the past 150 years or so is the process by which we manufacture fertilizer. It's estimated that without it, the world would be able to support less than half of our current population. But it's not without its problems.
1: While there are no hydrocarbons in the chemical equation of fertilizer, a huge amount are used in its manufacture. It's one of the most centralized industries in the world and anything that disrupts the supply chain can ultimately lead to increased food insecurity.
0: Nico Pinkowski and his team at Nitricity are bringing a new approach that combines some old techniques with modern renewable energy.
1: In principle, it's a very simple approach. What we're working on is take air, water, and electricity, renewable power, and uh, create fixed nitrogen.
0: With their reactor, Nitricity hopes to make fertilizer production not only more sustainable, but also more decentralized and locally available to farmers.
1: We call it a lightning fertilizer reactor. Uh, it looks like a mini, mini lightning, and it is contained in a reactor. So it is quite literally lightning in a bottle. And we power them with renewable energy. And we hope that they will serve as a bridge between the renewable industry and the fertilizer industry, uh, avoiding the need for natural gas or coal in the production of this important chemical.
0: Talking fertilizer with Nitricity's Nico Pinkowski on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to sit down with the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Before we dive in today, I'd like to take a minute to recognize our quarterly presenting sponsor this quarter, which is the engine of Canada's agriculture industry, Calgary, Alberta. Located in the heart of Alberta's best growing land, Calgary has it all. With more than 22 facilities in Alberta playing a critical role in ag research and innovation, Calgary is a hub for precision agriculture and agricultural technology. The Calgary region has proximity to customers, abundant primary agricultural commodities, and a growing cluster of value-added processing capacity. That's why multinational agribusiness leaders call Calgary home. In Calgary, they're leading the ag business revolution, and you are welcome to join. Visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. Thank you so much to Calgary Economic Development for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now back to today's episode with Nico Pinkowski, co-founder and CEO of Nitricity, which is a company electrifying and distributing the production of fertilizer. As it's done today, fertilizer emits as much as 5 to 7% of the total greenhouse gas emissions per year. Nitricity traces its roots back to Stanford University where Nico received his PhD in mechanical engineering. Both Nitricity and NICO have been awarded numerous awards and grants from Stanford, MIT, Caltech, ASU, Forbes 30 Under 30, NSF, USDA, and a recent $20 million venture finance round. We're going to start off our conversation with a fascinating history of fertilizer production, then talk more about Nitricity's solution, how they developed it, and how they're bringing it to market with farmers and retailers. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you will too. I'll drop you into the conversation where Nico is providing some context on the history of fertilizer.
1: So 99% of fertilizers are made with the Haber-Bosch process. And it's a very famous chemical approach invented about 120 years ago, and it uh, requires hydrogen. So today it, it uses coal or natural gas to produce hydrogen, and that's your, your first stream. And then your second stream is you need very pure nitrogen. So you take air, which is nitrogen and oxygen, and you cryogenically separate the two components of air to get a pure stream of nitrogen. And then you take that stream of hydrogen and nitrogen and compress it to very high pressures together and temperatures, and send it into a reactor that has generally an iron-based catalyst, and it will react to form ammonia, which is the backbone of the nitrogen fertilizer or broader fertilizer industry. Uh, You then have your gas stream of ammonia, and you can liquefy ammonia out, and you store ammonia uh, cryogenically in in large liquid tanks. So this process fundamentally changed agriculture, and uh, a lot of people, including a well-known author, Valkov Smil of MIT, and make big claims saying that uh, without this process and the, the production of fertilizer through it, uh, we would only be able to support a third or half of our current global population. Uh, this particular process, the Haber-Bosch process, is generally is recognized as kicking off the field of chemical process engineering. So any chemical factory you see today, uh, the designs and you know, the piping layout or the compression has roots in this first process. It's one of the most centralized industries in the world. Um, While there are 4 billion acres of farmland, there are only 400, roughly, Haberbosch factories out there. In the United States, private industries will have the capital to be able to have a couple billion dollars to finance the construction of these facilities. But in other places in the world, they're so expensive, a country will be the entity that builds it out. Extreme capital cost, extreme scale but a tried-and-true approach that's been in use for hundreds of years. So when the Haber-Bosch process and fertilizer production was first brought to North America, it was invented in Germany and Europe and took some time to spread around the world. People didn't know how to do it. Two German scientists invented the process, and it led to um, uh, tactical advantages in in a world war because they could produce fertilizer and uh, munitions. And it took some time for this technology to spread to the United States. And I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, as it's kind of the birthplace of American fertilizer innovation. And I want to bring attention to some of the great groups that are doing work there and also a project that we're putting together to really uh, pay tribute to this uh, fertilizer innovation ecosystem. So early on, only Germany was able to produce fertilizer with this approach. And then the technology eventually spread the actually espionage uh, designs made their way to uh, uh, North America. And uh, the US government commissioned really multiple cities worth of workers to build uh, fertilizer production capacity in Alabama. And so uh, today, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and the Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, the hydroelectric dam, you know, really created some of the, the most widely used types of fertilizers and fertilizer application approaches in the industry. Not only did they create the first nitrate plant in the United States and Haber-Bosch facility there, but um, later this hub of and ecosystem created the ammonia bar as an application method. So today how anhydrous ammonia is applied through the Midwest is via the bar and injecting it. This is a technology invented in, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. In Muscle Shoals, Alabama also took ammonia and rock phosphate samples from around the world and invented fertilizers. So they invented triple superphosphate out of this system. And then also, you know, this hub of American fertilizer innovation later turned into a geopolitical asset for the United States. Henry Kissinger converted this ecosystem into um, the International Fertilizer Development Center. And so it started as kind of a geopolitical initiative by Henry Kissinger, and later turned into something that is is very noble in in intention and has done a a huge amount to promote food security via fertilizer. So today, the International Fertilizer Development Center based in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, has some leading scientists and has done a huge amount to prevent famines and invent new approaches and and get fertilizer to every corner of the world that needs it. They're doing a lot in sub-Saharan Africa right now based on the, the recent fertilizer crisis to get fertilizer to where it is needed. The maps that they've developed have led actually key companies to donate fertilizer around the world. They were super influential in coming up with a new fertilizer approach for applying urea on rice paddies called urea deep placement that increases nitrogen use efficiency from 30 to 90%. And lastly, they have roots uh, after the fall of uh, Yugoslavia. Many decades ago, uh, this one organization and Muscle Shoals I went into Albania and actually created a local commerce system for fertilizer, saving you know, people believe millions of lives by getting this chemical there. So, yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to highlight this. Nitricity is doing a project. We're sending a shipping container that has our plasma reactor and the equipment to make fertilizer. We're sending it to Muscle Shoals, Alabama to pay tribute to this like hub of fertilizer innovation. And there's some really electric things coming out of there right now. They're doing a lot to bring in sustainability. And I think we'll see the innovations being worked on there. What I hope to be with Nitricity and others uh, spread to out farmers throughout the, throughout the Midwest, the Southwest, uh, you know, East and West Coast, and uh, eventually the world. So that is kind of a fun fact. I know. Whether we include it or not, I just wanted to share a little bit more. I think it's very interesting.
0: That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I love the use of uh, doing electric things. I caught the pun there. Do you know why Muscle Shoals originally? What, I mean, what was it about Muscle Shoals, which uh, for those that don't know, I'm looking at a map here, is in like the northwest corner of, of Alabama.
1: It's all about energy. It's all about the hydroelectric dam. So the Tennessee Valley uh, Authority electric dam. You know, at first they used electric processes. It's actually a very, very long time ago. They didn't use coal or natural gas. They set up uh, electrified fertilizer production processes using that hydroelectricity. And you know, it just you know, goes to show that energy can fuel innovation. And uh, they built up this community. Actually, they built up multiple towns. You know, I think like 30,000 workers were in this area building fertilizer technologies early in the United States history that that later spread around the world. And it all starts with energy, and I think it's going to come full circle. So we're going down there and exploring with IFDC together the use of renewable power and the distributed production of fertilizer, being able to use this as a tool to create and bolster food security, even in places where there is no natural gas or coal infrastructure or dedicated shipping lines to get fertilizer in from the coasts. So really cool stuff going on there. It all ties back to energy and electricity, and it's been fascinating to see it come full circle
0: well, let's just talk about the problem with fertilizer. I think most people listening to the show have an idea of that it requires uh, nitrogen, especially, but but also other nutrients to grow a crop, and you have to replenish those that you're pulling from the soil with a harvest every year. But kind of what's what's the big problem, you know, from a societal standpoint, with the status quo?
1: Sure. So, fertilizer is a very energy intensive chemical to make. To put nitrogen into the ground today, it requires an enormous amount of carbon dioxide emissions from coal or natural gas that fuel the process. For example, 5%, roughly 5% of American natural gas goes to the manufacture of nitrogen. And while there are no hydrocarbons in the chemical equation of fertilizer, a huge amount are used in its manufacture. And so, you know, that's point number one is fossil fuel reliance in the production of nitrogen. Point number two is the layout of the industry as stands today is it's very, very centralized and therefore vulnerable to supply chain disruptions from things like uh, geopolitical events in Eastern Europe to kind of the supply chain pinch when it came to COVID. It's one of the most centralized industries in the world. And anything that disrupts the supply chain can ultimately lead to increased food insecurity because of uh, increased access to fertilizer in many places in the world. So there's a big climate component to it, and then there's a big food insecurity component to fertilizer.
0: Yeah, massive. And, and I, I've, I've, I've thought about that a lot as we talk about regenerative agriculture and trying to sequester carbon. You know, trying to have you know net zero impact or even a you know net positive impact. Uh, you've got this sort of elephant in the room, which is fertilizer, right? Which is you have a big greenhouse gas emission, carbon footprint, uh, with the production of fertilizer. But it, on the other hand, it sounds almost too good to be true that we could, you know, just use air, water, and electricity and make this stuff in another way. So as you were coming up with the solution here that Nitricity is bringing to the market. I understand you had several iterations where it was like trying to figure out how to make this work. Can you talk about some of those ideas that maybe failed and kind of what that current iteration looks like?
1: Sure thing. In principle, it's a very simple approach. What we're working on is take air, water, and electricity, renewable power, and uh, create fixed nitrogen. Uh, Nitrogen is in the air around us, and you have all the ingredients needed to make fertilizer from everything that's available on a farm. No natural gas or an extended supply chain needed. In principle, it's a very, very technical problem, very challenging technical problem. Nitrogen itself in air is a dinitrogen. There's two nitrogen atoms connected and a very stable and strong chemical bond, the second strongest in the universe. Oh,
0: wow. What is the strongest? I'm just curious.
1: Carbon monoxide, CO. So this is the second strongest. It's a triple bonded uh, molecule, dinitrogen. All plants are swimming in it but you have to get it into a different, more reactive form. And to do that, no matter how you do it, it needs a tremendous amount of energy. You know, At the onset of nitricity, we looked at uh, every single way in the world that we could find, from textbooks from 100 to 150 years ago, to uh, approaches coming out of modern-day research labs, reading everything and visiting every lab we could find. And we looked at two dozen different approaches and down-selected from there focusing on two fundamental pathways that you can use to make fertilizer. You can either oxidize it, you can go to nitrate, uh, or you can um, reduce nitrogen in the air and you can go to ammonia. Uh, We started scaling up a technology that made ammonia. And it was a very exciting approach. There's a little bit of money about it, around it. And then very shortly after, realized that it wasn't going to work, certainly not at scale. And so we built up all this energy and all this excitement about uh, breakthrough new technology. And then we realized that uh, we needed to change directions and it was very challenging. Uh, we had to be straightforward with investors. We disclosed an investment, actually asked them if they wanted their money back. But uh, we also had additional and potentially more exciting approaches. So we just kept at it, put our head down and tried to find that opportunity. And um, from what emerged was uh, what turned out to be a very promising approach. It took some iterations to get there, but then we were off to the races. We had a contract to build a system on a farm.
0: Excellent. And I I want to talk more about that farm before we do. What wasn't going to work about the ammonia approach?
1: Ammonia is tough. So no matter how you make ammonia from air and water, it needs an enormous enormous amount of capital expense. So either you use the existing process, it needs very high pressures and temperatures, or you can use uh, very low technology readiness level, but potentially transformative new processes that are electrochemical, but those you need massive surface area. The only way to make ammonia effectively with those, you need a football fields and football fields worth of surface area at a catalyst site. And so just the, those manifolds would be cost prohibitive. And then another way to do it is, is to make ammonia, you can actually make molten lithium metal, and then you can combust nitrogen and lithium metal together and then uh, react that with water, and you'll make ammonia naturally. Uh, But that means you need to produce massive volumes of lithium metal. And you can't lose any lithium metal in the process. You have to recover it all after this reaction. And uh, that was a really interesting approach. It was looked at uh, both 110 years ago and then again today. Key challenge is uh, you need a lot of capital expense and able to produce molten lithium metal. There's a lot of safety considerations. And that reaction is very dangerous and high temperature as well. And so for a couple of reasons, we realized to drive that efficiently and fast enough, you need to pay for it. And we chose not to go that direction.
0: And, and what was a hard problem with that to solve? Obviously, we've known about you know, air and water for quite some time now. <laughs> but uh, what was kind of the hard part to actually making that nitric acid from it?
1: So just like ammonia, you can make nitric acid from air and water. The hard part is uh, the same challenge as ammonia is, is breaking down that nitrogen triple bond. So um, no matter what fertilizer feedstock you make, you need to sever the triple bond of nitrogen. And to do that, you need energy, and it must come from somewhere. So Nitricity is an energy company. We turn kilowatts of electricity purchased into pounds of nitrogen um, out. And our, our process, instead of reacting nitrogen with hydrogen, we react nitrogen with oxygen. There is an old textbook that uh, refers to this process as the burning of the air. So we don't separate air, uh, we don't produce hydrogen. Uh, we simply oxidize nitrogen present in the air, and the, the, the toughest part is that initial step where we have to break down the strong bond. And how we do it is with the same fundamental approach as lightning. You know, the natural approach of lightning breaks down nitrogen in the air and brings it to the soil as fertilizer, approximately in the order of five pounds of n per acre per year across uh, farming communities.
0: Well, there, there is an old expression here that, that says, you know, it's like capturing lightning in a bottle as in like something that's impossible to do or it's something impossible to harness. So how do you harness the power of lightning here to manufacture this predictably and reliably and, and at scale?
1: So we've built a, a, we call it a lightning fertilizer reactor. And so to start, you know, we've built projects. It takes electricity and it's very luminous. You can tell looking in the windows, uh, it looks like a mini, mini lightning and it is contained in a reactor. So it is quite literally lightning in a bottle. And you know, our innovation is we develop these reactors to break down nitrogen in the air and we power them with renewable energy. And so that, that's what our team is building. We're building these reactors and we hope that they will serve as a bridge between the renewable industry and the fertilizer industry. Uh, avoiding the need for natural gas or coal in the production of this important chemical.
0: Excellent. And as it stands today, you know, how much nitrogen or nitric acid, I I should say, can one of these reactors provide? And maybe if you could uh, give it to us in terms of like acres or or kind of like how, how big of a geography could one of these reactors serve their fertilizer needs?
1: It, uh, as much as you want. Uh, you know, these, these reactors uh, and plasma-based approaches are known to be able to scale. Uh, as a startup, you know, we started building plasma reactors in mason jars. And, and so those would only produce a, a small amount of fertilizer. And you, know, you want to run them consistently you know, whenever there's sunlight uh, on the panels uh, for you know, as many days as possible. But you know, there's no limit to how much fertilizer this approach can make. It's very dense in terms of Cropland, you can produce your 200 units or 150 units end per acre. And This process can scale. Uh, to date, you know, we've produced uh, a few hundred pounds of fertilizer in mainly dilute forms, and we're scaling up. So we're building more powerful reactors um, that meet the market need uh, that's been reaching out to us.
0: And you said renewable energies, and then you said whenever there's light on the panel. So I assume we're talking solar energy here?
1: Yes. You know, we've built all our projects with solar to date. We can also run them uh, plugged into the grid or uh, wind. Hmm. So
0: help us visualize this. I mean, you did a good job of describing kind of the plasma almost looking like lightning in a bottle. Help us visualize from a real practical standpoint. If you have one of these reactors, you're going to turn it on and it's going to start going. And then do you just start to collect some sort of solid at the base or does it collect in terms of a gas or what? You know, describe how that looks to us uh, so we could see it in our minds.
1: Sure. So our, our first farm project in Fresno, California, if you were to walk up to it, it would be an array of solar panels about the size of a truck. And underneath that, there were 2 55-gallon drums. This is our first system. And one of the drums was a reactor, and you could see it uh, pulsing light. So he was taking electricity from the solar, uh, going through a power supply, and that would power this lightning-in-a-bottle approach. And it's very luminous. It's quite the light show. So we have continuous and constant, uh, a constant cadence of plasma, this lightning, running in a reactor. And it's eye-catching. It, uh, it releases a, a fair amount of light. And we've built uh, some clear reactors, as well as windows, windows in these. And you can see it running. so that, that's the main attraction that we like to show folks when we tour the system, is a, a system running and actually this lightning in a bottle. There's a lot more to making fertilizer, but you, you, you take the output of that reactor And you need to react it with water, and so uh, you know what comes out originally is a liquid fertilizer uh, product, and um, so we'll have to have a water subsystem that collects this fertilizer, slowly concentrating over time. So we'll start with pure water, and you'll you'll turn it into a certain concentration of nitric acid, Um, and then you can you you can either apply that directly to soils, you can fertigate that, um, or apply that uh, um, with any method uh, as a liquid. Or you can combine it with other macro and micronutrients. So for example, you can combine it with limestone or other minerals and then dry it out and you'd have a solid form fertilizer. So on my desk, I have a solid form fertilizer. It, it could be spread by hand um, or with a conventional spinner. Hmm.
0: Very, very cool. And I, and I understand you have a pilot launching with a farmer or maybe already in operation with, with a farmer. Um, How did that come about? I always like to hear these, like, how do you find that first farmer willing to do something like this? You know, how did that, how did you all get connected and maybe describe that project to us?
1: Sure thing. So the first commercial farm that we were on, you know, at the time, um, the co-founders were living in Fresno and then Airbnb building out our smaller system. So we're building a system near Fresno State. And uh, on a weekend, we were tired of building things out. We took a Saturday off, uh, a rare occurrence. And uh, you know, wanted to go drive, drive around and look at some commercial tomato farms. So we just hopped on Google Maps and called up, uh, tried to find the biggest commercial tomato farm around. Uh, just cold called them. And uh, a farmer's, uh, this farmer's wife answered the phone and said, sure thing, swing on by. And uh, we just showed up and uh, asked a couple questions and then showed up uh, a couple months later and asked if he was interested in trying it out. And he said, sure, sounds good. In particular, the things that that caught this farmer's eye was uh, using renewable energy. Uh, A lot of farmers in California are uh, deploying solar and care deeply about sustainability. And then also the independence of this, being able to produce your own fertilizer. You are no longer beholden to a supplier who may increase your prices 100% between season to season, or in the last season, 400%, you can make it yourself. And then the, the last component is, uh, for this particular farmer was pH control. Uh, in California, a lot of farmers buy both acid and fertilizer. And so since we have an acidic solution coming out of ours, there was a unique value proposition for our, our first commercial uh, touch point. Hmm.
0: I would never have even thought about the pH
1: so, especially in years of drought in California, when they're uh, pulling water deeper and deeper out of the ground, the water pH at a lot of wells in Fresno County or Kern County is, it'll be like eight or nine. And so, um, very, very hard water coming out of the ground. And then the soil pH itself is, you know, could be in north of seven. And so, um, it's out of the optimal band. And so, farmers are having to resort to uh, using sulfuric acid or buy sulfur burners to make sulfurous acid. And uh, it's expensive. So for this particular farm, especially in a year of drought, um, you know, we said, hey, we have a product. It's a liquid form fertilizer. It's very acidic uh, and has the nitrate ion. Are you interested?
0: Yeah. Well, what's that look like today in terms of, you know, are you currently producing on this farmer's place and what's that look like?
1: Right now, uh, no longer. We made fertilizer, but then pulled back our system and technology and are focusing on building a much larger one. So we've had uh, two farm projects. Uh, One ran for 14 months and the other just a few number of months. Both made fertilizer, uh, which have gone to be used on crops. But then as we talked to more farmers and got a lot of market interest and with the price increase in the fertilizer market, it was clear to us that we needed to build a bigger system to be able to provide more fertilizer to the market instead of building a system to be coupled with an irrigation pump, we want to be building systems that can produce fertilizer for thousands and thousands of acres. And so we, we pulled our assets back, connected the solar to the grid, and are focused on on scaling up our reactor and building much larger lightning reactors right now.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And I mean, is there any reason that it wouldn't be just the same process only on a larger scale, I mean a bigger reactor, more square footage of of solar panels. I mean everything proportionally just larger. Is there uh, do you run into new problems when you do that?
1: Exactly. Everything's the same. In fact, I'd say we there's additional opportunities with making the system a little larger. Now, it's really important to still be distributed. But distributed production can have several different meanings. And so we want to produce within 10 miles of a farm. But if we have a little bit larger facility, We can have people there permanently working. So it's creating jobs in local communities. And then also we can make the system more efficient, driving down the cost that we can offer uh, farmers. And those two things have proven to be very important.
0: And and let's talk more about the economics of this. In the scaled up version, what do you foresee being... The payoff period, I mean, is this something the farmer would actually purchase or is this something that you would operate, you know, that nitricity would just own and operate themselves and just sell the fertilizer? And if so, what could be like the payback period uh, for these?
1: That's the million dollar question. Where we started was building systems for farms, um, irrigation pump level systems that made fertilizer. And where we are today is it makes more sense for cost reasons to go uh, larger. And the the payback period can be very attractive on these systems for certain products. So our hardware makes nitric acid. Nitric acid is a, a very large commodity market and is a little bit cheaper than some of the other products we can make. If we blend other nutrients into our nitric acid, it increases the value of the product. It can decrease the market size, but increase the value. So there's a bunch of different market segments you can target with this approach. Each market segment has a different price point and market size. For us and any startup, it's really, really important to identify your beachhead market product fit. It's got to be spot on. And because we have access to so many different types of fertilizer, we've chosen one that is our, it's our Ferrari fertilizer, or it's our, it's our sports car. So we found one type of fertilizer that we can make with our process by adding in another ingredient. It greatly increases the value and is used in cash crops like berries or stone fruit. And so this is something that lets us increase our sale price to make sure that we're competitive, still sell at the commodity market rate, and help us get on our feet as a business. Then as we scale, as we practice building these systems and doing it better over time, we'll decrease the price point and ultimately step-by-step over the years and sell into different markets.
0: It's so interesting. Now, I would imagine, you know, the next step is getting, right-sizing these uh, reactors and these facilities, you know, for that approach. But once you're there, you know, what's the next step to, to market for this?
1: That's exactly right. First step is right-sizing. This so it's got to scale it up, got to build something of certain size. But in parallel, we're working to get our first large system fully contracted. So we're looking for farmers, uh, farming communities and uh, local retailers or co-ops that uh, would be interested in in some of these products, some of these early uh, Ferrari-type fertilizer products that we're uh, producing. And getting that project fully contracted is a very important business goal right now. For any uh, renewable energy project development, it can take some time. So if this needs dedicated solar, even developing the solar could be slower than developing our fertilizer reactor. And so we are already started on contracting large projects as we scale up and right-size the reactor.
0: Man, that's very cool. Well, you mentioned kind of like kind of the next step after uh, kind of right-sizing things is looking for the right partners, uh, farming communities, groups of farmers. Let's make sure we articulate exactly what the ideal fit would be there. So is there any criteria for the right type of place that these facilities should go?
1: Thanks for asking. That's a, that's a great question. The perfect fit, number one, are folks who are currently using nitrates and love them. Um, things like calcium nitrate, potassium nitrate, or folks who, who have a pH challenge, who have alkaline or hard water or soils. Um, what nitricity makes from air and water is a good fit. And, and we think there's a path towards being able to provide this at cost uh, and potentially in the future, even cheaper. So we're looking for farmers who are interested in this product, interested in sustainability and clean energy. And we want to hear from you. And we want to hear from what retailers you're buying from today, the price points, the market constraints, your soil pH, uh, your blend of macro and micronutrients. We want to learn what is needed and what farmers want. And then we're going to take that and take a map of the United States and find a good overlap between the farmer demand and requests and low-cost intermittent power. We have a lot of renewable energy companies interested, and uh, we want to take the farmer interest put down some solar or wind somewhere where it can be very cheap, and uh, supply. We're a couple of years out from being able to put together a big facility. But probably the most important thing that we need right now is that farmer interest and those introductions to their retailers so that we can get this project fully contracted and cited.
0: Well, there you go. If you're listening, make sure you reach out. Should they just go to your website? And is it nitricity.co? Is that right?
1: That's correct. Or nitricity.ag will get you there as well.
0: Well, thank you so much again to Nico for being part of the show. I really found that all very fascinating. If you're a farmer who fits the mold that Nico described or a potential retail partner, just someone interested in learning more, go to their website. It's nitricity.co. It will, of course, be in the show notes as well. So you can just click. Special shout out and thank you for this episode to Grant Gregory of Andreessen Horowitz for the introduction to Nico and for help making this episode happen. Thank you so much to Grant. And thanks to all of you listening for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.